Greetings, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Peace be with you. This is Catholic evangelist and Bible teacher Hector Molina welcoming you to this special Palm Sunday edition of our podcast series, A Walk in the Word, our weekly deep dive Bible study that explores and unpacks the riches of the Sunday Mass readings. Well, my friends, I'm excited and thrilled to announce that with this special Palm Sunday edition of A Walk in the Word, we're going to be inaugurating a week-long Holy Week Bible study, a Bible study that I'm calling A Biblical Journey Through the Passion of Christ. We're going to each day during Holy Week, we're going to be examining Mark's account of the Passion. What's wonderful is that St. Mark the Evangelist provides us, in contrast with the other evangelists, he provides us with the clearest narrative, with the clearest chronology or day-to-day timeline for Holy Week, for the week that changed the world. And so what we're going to endeavor to do beginning today is we're going to explore Mark's gospel from the 11th chapter with the account of the triumphal entry of Jesus into the holy city of Jerusalem, all the way through to the narrative of the resurrection. In the 16th chapter, we're going to, day by day, we will examine through the lens of Mark's gospel, we'll examine the words and the deeds performed by our blessed Lord. And we together will mind their significance in light of the Old Testament scriptures, of the words and the writings of the prophets, and all those who prefigured what our Lord in his life and in his passion, his death and resurrection, what he brought to fulfillment. It is going to be an incredible Bible study, and I can't wait to get started. My prayer, my hope is that our time together each day during Holy Week will will serve to deepen our appreciation, your appreciation for the power of the Word of God, the power and the beauty, the splendor of the sacred scriptures, and that through our study that you might grow in your devotion, in your communion, in your love for our blessed Lord who gave his life for our salvation. My brothers and sisters, I'm excited to get started. And before we do so, I want to encourage you, as I always do, to grab a copy of your Bible that you might be able to follow along with us as we examine verse by verse St. Mark's narrative of Holy Week, the week of the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So together, and without further ado, why don't we take a walk in the Word? And as always, we begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My brothers and sisters, I invite you to turn with me to the 11th chapter of the gospel according to St. Mark, beginning in verse 1. We read, And when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door out in the open street. And they untied it. And those who stood there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it, and he sat upon it. And many spread their garments on the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. Hosanna, in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. 
Well, beloved in Christ, 11 verses, seemingly a very short text, a simple text, but absolutely jam-packed with layer upon layer of meaning and significance, and I can't wait to dive in with you. We're going to take this a verse at a time, and in doing so, I want to lay out for you, just to remind you of what we just read, the chronology, the timeline of, of the events of what happens for each day during Holy Week. We begin with Jesus departing from Bethany. He departs from Bethany to Jerusalem, instructs his disciples to procure a donkey upon which he will sit and ride over the Mount of Olives into the holy city of Jerusalem by the Golden Gate or the Eastern Gate and entrance into the holy city and into the temple. He enters into Jerusalem, enters the temple, he inspects it, and then he returns to Bethany where he will spend the night. So that is the basic chronology of what takes place during Palm Sunday in St. Mark's narrative. Now, with that in mind, let's take it verse by verse. I'm excited to do this with you. In verse 1, we're furnished with certain geographical details that I think for most of us, and I know for a long time, I, I really didn't appreciate the significance, the import of the mentioning of these places and its theological and spiritual significance. And what I want to do with you very briefly is to give you a sense of that, because I think it'll revolutionize the way you approach this Palm Sunday text. There's more than meets the eye. It says in verse 1, And when they drew near to Jerusalem, they're approaching Jerusalem. Understand that he's traveling from Jericho to Jerusalem, and he's performing miracles along the way. And the crowds are with him, and they're swept up with this euphoria because they also are going up to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. That's the context for this particular passage. They are pilgrims journeying to Jerusalem. And so they're traveling to Jerusalem, and here in the text it mentions a few different towns that they will pass along the way. They mention Bethany. This is the town of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, the close friends of our blessed Lord, Lazarus, whom the Lord raised from the dead. Typically, when our Lord journeyed to Jerusalem, he would stay with his dear friends in Bethany. So it mentions Bethany, and then it mentions Bethphage. And this is a town maybe about a mile away from Bethany that is on the very road to Jerusalem. And so in mentioning these towns, it's giving us a picture of the geography and of the topography. And this is something that I hope by the end of our study, you're going to appreciate on a deeper level. In essence, our Lord is traveling from the east and he will enter into what is known as the eastern gate of the temple by way of the Mount of Olives. Now, let me let me give you a visual here so that you can appreciate this. I have here a graphic, an illustration of the Palm Sunday Road, in essence, stemming at the bottom of the image here from Bethany in the southeast traveling northwest towards Jerusalem. And they travel from Bethany, which is where our blessed Lord, when he arrived from Jericho, he more than likely spent more than one night in Bethany and spent the Sabbath with his friends Martha, Lazarus, and Mary in Bethany before setting out on Palm Sunday for Jerusalem. So he travels from Bethany to Bethphage. Now, the text says that he instructed his disciples to go to Bethphage to procure a donkey and to bring it to him. And we'll get into the details surrounding the donkey and its significance in a moment. But just to give you a picture, so they travel the road, the Palm Sunday road from Bethany to Bethphage, from Bethphage over the Mount of Olives, which is to the east of the city of Jerusalem. So Jesus is coming from the east, from the Mount of Olives, and he enters through the eastern gate 
of the temple. And that is significant. See, when we look at details like this, and let me go back to that verse, and when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. We, we kind of gloss over these geographical details and we deem them trivial. They, they're really not significant. And I've got to tell you from experience, I mean, I've, I've been studying the scriptures my entire life uh, for decades, and it was only really until I made my first pilgrimage to the Holy Land that that my appreciation for what I call salvation geography just truly grew. Now, we talk about salvation history, and what we find in the Bible is the written account of what we call salvation history, the history of salvation, of God's relationship with humanity. And this salvation history unfolded in a particular place that we call the Holy Land. (laughs) See, the Word was made flesh in a particular geography, in a particular place, in a particular region of the world. And so we can't separate salvation history from salvation geography, the very place in which this history unfolded. And oftentimes, as moderns, and and especially for those who haven't had a chance to visit the Holy Land, we don't appreciate as much as we should the significance of salvation geography and the fact that God speaks geographically. God speaks to us geographically. And this is one instance, again, with furnishing us these details that Jesus was, in essence, traveling to Jerusalem by way of Bethany and Bethphage over the Mount of Olives. That is speaking to us. God is communicating something significant and profound to us. But unfortunately, there are few of us that really understand the multi-layered meaning behind the mentioning of these particular places. What I want to do is I want to, with God's grace and help, elucidate your understanding so that you can appreciate how God is speaking to us here geographically. Now, to do that, we have to understand the geography and the fact that, as I said before, the Lord is traveling from the east. And it is Jesus who's traveling and is entering into the city and is acclaimed as king, okay? Now, armed with that in mind, I want to give you a few Old Testament passages to reflect upon. And I want to set the stage here. And I think by the end of it, you'll understand why this one verse, verse one, (laughs) is so significant. And so turn with me to Psalm 145. In Psalm 145, we have a passage that asserts the fact that Yahweh is the true king of glory. Again, remember, Jesus is traveling from the east. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He's traveling to the holy city. He's traveling to the temple. And he is acclaimed here on Palm Sunday as the Mashiach, as the Messiah, as the king, the new king of Israel. And it's important for us to understand the deeper significance of our Lord's journey from Bethany to Bethphage over the Mount of Olives and into the temple via the Eastern Gate. Point number one is that Yahweh, our God, is the true King of glory. Psalm 145 declares in verse one, I will extol thee, my God and King, and bless thy name forever and ever. See, God is the true king of Israel. Look at verses 10 through 13. All thy works shall give thanks to thee, O Lord, and all thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and tell of thy power to make known to the sons of men thy mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of thy kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. Close quote. So this is Psalm 145. And again, this psalm is extolling Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, as the true king, the king of glory, 
that he is truly sovereign. It is not merely David or Solomon or his progeny after him that ascends the throne that is the true and righteous king, but no, Yahweh is the true sovereign and is the true king and rules and desires to reign in and through his vessel that is the earthly king of Israel. It's important to know, to understand the passage that we're dealing with, to understand the significance of the 11th chapter and say Mark's account of Palm Sunday and our Lord's journey into Jerusalem, this is important. God is the true king of Israel. Go with me to Malachi chapter 1, verse 14b. We read, this is God speaking now, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Again, God is self-identifying. He's proclaiming himself to be a great king, the Lord of hosts and that his name is feared among the nations. Remember that God chose Israel to be an instrument, a vessel, if you will, for evangelization in essence, to make his name known and feared among the nations. And so here we see in this particular text, again, the affirmation that God himself is the true king and his name is feared among the nations. Look at Psalm 99. Verses 1 through 3, we read, Yahweh is king. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Now, that's a description, in essence, of God's dwelling place in the Holy of Holies, in the temple, in Jerusalem. Okay, That was the, the earthly dwelling place of God, the abode of Yahweh. So Yahweh is king, let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. That's describing the Ark of the Covenant with the two cherubim, the golden cherubim, as the cover for that Ark. And that's God's mercy seat. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Yahweh is great in Zion. Zion is another name for Jerusalem. And he is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and fearful name. He is holy. So Yahweh is the king of glory. We just read these passages. They speak of his kingdom uh, enduring forever from generation to generation, for all generations. God dwelled in their midst and it was unfathomable for the people of God to consider God departing, God removing his presence from his people, from the temple. This was unfathomable. Now, again, another passage, Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. You may be familiar with this. This is one of my favorite Psalms. And it speaks about the King of glory and about the King of glory entering into the holy city entering into the temple. It says in verse 7, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Beautiful and powerful passage. Again, extolling the king of glory who is Yahweh. And just as kings would triumphantly enter into their respective cities to much fanfare and jubilation, this is a psalm that describes that sense of jubilation of the Lord of hosts entering into his temple, into the holy city. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. Again, Yahweh is the king of glory. But we know reading scripture that God's presence in the temple, 
God's presence in the Holy of Holies, God's presence in the Holy City of Jerusalem would cease. Ezekiel, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, had warned Israel, had called Israel to repentance because Israel was unfaithful. Israel had prostituted herself. Israel had fallen away from the Lord, had broken faith, had broken the covenant, and had been corrupted to such a degree that God sent the prophets, and in particular Ezekiel, to warn them that he would punish them. And how would he punish them? Well, the greatest punishment is the absence of God. God no longer dwelt in the temple. He departs from the temple. Look at Ezekiel chapter 10, verses 18 and 19. We read, Then the glory of the Lord went forth from the threshold of the house, this is the temple, and stood over the cherubim. And the cherubim, this is describing the angels, and the cherubim lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight as they went forth with the wheels beside them. And they stood at the door of the east gate of the house of the Lord. And the glory of the God of Israel was over them. So again, I want you to picture this. This is in the Holy of Holies. We have the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred object. God dwells above this mercy seat of the Holy of Holies. The cover is fashioned with two cherubim, with two angels. And here we have a description from Ezekiel of this vision that he has. The glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory cloud that represented the presence of God in the holy city and in the holy temple went forth from the threshold of the house. It departed from the holy of holies and from the temple and from the city of Jerusalem. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city. It left Jerusalem and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Let me ask you, what is that mountain called? It's called the Mount of Olives. Again, I want you to picture this. This is (laughs) judgment being pronounced on Israel. And God, his holy presence, departs from the Holy of Holies, departs from the holy city, and hovers above. It stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city, which is the Mount of Olives. That is significant because the people could not fathom that God would ever depart from them, would ever leave them. And here we have this judgment being pronounced because of the corruption, the wickedness, the infidelity of the people of God. Sound familiar? If you can't say amen, say ouch. Because of the infidelity, the unfaithfulness of the people of God, he had warned them time and time again of the coming chastisement, of judgment, and judgment came. And God departed from the temple. His holy presence departed from the temple. But not only does Ezekiel describe this judgment and this departure from the temple, this destruction of the holy temple in Jerusalem, but he furthermore, later on in his book in chapter 43 and onward, he describes the restoration. He prophesies the return of Yahweh, the return of the king. (laughs) Long before Tolkien ever picked this up, he prophesied the return of the king. Again, the king of glory. In Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 2 and 4 through 5, we read, 
Afterward, he brought me to the gate, the gate facing east. So stick with me. This is the eastern gate. He brought me to the gate, the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the east. That is from the Mount of Olives. And the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. As the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east, the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Let me stop there. This is a very powerful text. You see where I'm going with this? You see, the Lord departs from the holy temple. The king of glory departs from the holy temple and stands on the Mount of Olives. And Ezekiel the prophet prophesies the return of the king. He will come the way he left. He will come from the Mount of Olives and he will enter through the eastern gate and the glory of the Lord will fill the temple. Do you see where I'm going with this? So this is what is prophesied. Again, it's important for you to understand these texts in light of the Old Testament, because this is the fulfillment of the promises that we find in the Old Testament. This is the very fulfillment of the prophecies that we find in the books of the prophets who foretold, who pre-announced the coming of the king of glory. And it even describes for us the route, the path, the road that the king of glory will take. He will ascend the Mount of Olives and he will descend from the Mount of Olives into the holy city via the eastern gate. We have another text from Isaiah chapter 52, which again speaks to us of the coming of the king, the return of the king to Zion, to Jerusalem. And this is a text that many of you will be familiar with. Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 8. We read, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, who publishes peace who brings good tidings of good, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, to Jerusalem, your God reigns. Verse 8, hark, your watchmen lift up their voice. And I want you to just imagine the temple in Jerusalem and at the corners and the elevated places in the temple, you had watchmen. Watchmen that were looking out to the four corners of Jerusalem, that were looking out on the throngs of pilgrims that were coming to worship the one true God. And these watchmen lift up their voice to announce what? The return of the king. It says, hark, your watchmen lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Again, remember, we began with this notion that that God is truly the King of glory and that God reigned over his people. But because of their infidelity, he departed. His, His Shekinah glory cloud that represented the presence of God in the dwelling place which was the Holy of Holies in the temple in Jerusalem, that because of the wickedness of the people, because of the infidelity of the people, because of the hardness of their hearts, because of how they prostituted themselves by going after false gods, by not living out their faith, by not being faithful to the commandments. Am I speaking to somebody? If you can't say amen, say ouch. Because of their infidelity, their lack of devotion, the lack of true worship to the one sovereign God, the King of glory, because of that, judgment was pronounced. 
and the presence of God, the King of Glory, departed, and it left the temple, and it left through the eastern gate, and stood upon the Mount of Olives, and the prophet declares that one day the King shall return, the King of Glory, and he will come from the east, through the eastern gate. And all of this, again, is is prophesying the coming of Christ, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And so it's speaking to us of the return of the King. And we find in this text, and again, I go back to the beginning of our study today, so many of us miss in these minute details the deeper significance. And because so many of us are not as steeped in the books of the prophets and and, and the writings of the Old Testament, we fail to appreciate, to fully appreciate the significance of the events surrounding Palm Sunday. And by extension, all of what takes place during Holy Week, we find fulfillment after fulfillment of prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. And what we're going to find this week, beginning here on Palm Sunday, is the fulfillment of so many of the incredible prophetic texts that are found in the Old Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises. All the promises that are found in the Old Covenant. So these texts, they speak of the return of the King. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings. Jesus is approaching Jerusalem from a mountain, the Mount of Olives. And he's bringing, what? Glad tidings, the good news of what? Of peace, because he is the Prince of Peace. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings, who publishes peace, who brings good tidings of good, who publishes salvation. What is Jesus, the King of glory, coming to bring? Peace and salvation through his passion, death, and resurrection. He comes to truly declare, as it says, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, to Jerusalem, your God reigns. And indeed, Jesus demonstrates during the week that we call holy that God indeed reigns. So they beheld, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. So I share this with you, my friends, hopefully to inspire you to want to go deeper in reading the Old Testament because you can't fully understand the New Testament and the life of Christ and the Paschal mystery, you cannot truly understand and appreciate the significance of Jesus' passion, death, and resurrection unless you understand and are familiar with the text of the Old Testament and of the prophets and of all that came before. I've said this many times before. St. Augustine has, has a wonderful Uh, phrase, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, he says that the New Testament is in the Old Concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Revealed. Okay, the New Testament is in the Old Concealed, the Old Testament is in the New Revealed. We can't separate the Old and the New Testament one from the other, because it is one word of God, the sacred scriptures, and one of the things that I, I hope to be able to accomplish this week is to light a fire under you to want to study the Word of God more deeply, particularly the typological connections between the Old and the New Testament. For those who don't know what typology is, it's a theological term that refers to how we are to read the sacred scriptures, the new in light of the old, and the old with an understanding and through the lens of the new. That in the Old Testament, there are prefigurements, that there are types, persons, places, things, events that foreshadow and point forward to the greater things manifested in the New Testament. And so part of what we're going to do this week is we're going to see all of the typological connections found throughout the days of this week we call holy and how our Lord fulfills prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy 
from the Old Testament, particularly during the week that we call Holy, from Palm Sunday all the way through Easter Sunday. It is going to be an amazing journey. So I I, I hope that this has whet your appetite a bit for what is to come, because we're going to go deep. We're going to go deep. And so hopefully this helps you to to kind of frame what happens on Palm Sunday in a, in a proper context. Now, with that said, very quickly, we go through some of the other details of today's gospel. And it's interesting that our Lord sends out two disciples to procure this donkey, and he gives them instructions as to how they are to retrieve this donkey and he lays out in a very prophetic way what is to unfold. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you, that is Bethphage, okay, from Bethany, about a mile away, Bethphage is, is that town that's opposite Bethany. As you enter it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away. And I'm sure they went away scratching their heads. Okay, he wants us to to steal <laughs> a cult. Uh, but no, 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 the Lord is not instructing them to go and steal anything. They're going to procure this vessel, this vessel that is highly symbolic. And we'll see that in a moment. It's to fulfill, again, the prophecies of the Old Testament. And he is demonstrating here, you know, there are many that suggest that Jesus had somehow prearranged this. He, he had prearranged uh, procuring the animal. He'd already spoken to the owners. And so he was just instructing the disciples to go and to, to basically fulfill his wishes and to retrieve this, this animal upon which he would ride into Jerusalem. But the fact of the matter is that those that contend that Jesus had prearranged this, they miss the point. Jesus here is acting in a prophetic manner. There are other texts in the Old Testament uh, that involve the prophets, the prophets speaking prophetically, uttering things, describing events that would unfold in great detail. And our Lord is the prophet of all prophets. He's the ultimate prophet. And so here he's operating prophetically. See, throughout the course of Holy Week, you're going to see the Lord manifest his priestly, prophetic, and royal identities, vocation, and unction. And here he's operating in the prophetic, in the role of of, of the prophet. And so he's describing events that will unfold, where they are to find certain things. And we find this later on in the Passion Narrative as he instructs disciples to go out and to basically prepare for the Passover meal. And he likewise provides details as to what they're going to encounter and where they're going to find this. And so this is, again, part of the evangelists reminding us and highlighting for us the prophetic identity of our blessed Lord, Jesus as prophet. So he instructs them to go they basically find the cult exactly where he said they would find it. They are approached and questioned by the owner of the cult. They respond accordingly. Everything goes as planned and as described by our blessed Lord. And they brought the cult to Jesus and threw their garments on it. And he sat upon it. It's important to underscore the fact that once again, we're seeing the Lord orchestrate the events surrounding his entrance, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And again, going back to the illustration that I shared with you earlier, this is the Palm Sunday road. This is the road from Bethany through Bethphage over the Mount of Olives and into the holy city of Jerusalem. This is the very road upon which our blessed Lord rode into the city on that faithful day. And he rode in on a donkey. Now, you've got to ask yourself, why did he choose to ride in on the donkey? Pilgrims, they walk. They would walk. They would journey. This Part of the pilgrimage experience is, is to walk. And 
every year, several times a year for these great festivals, our Lord would walk to Jerusalem as a pilgrim. But this would be different. This festival, this Passover would be different. He would ride into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. And we find in the Gospel of Matthew, he explicitly ties this to prophecy. And you'll find this throughout the Gospel of Matthew because he's writing to a primarily Jewish audience. He's constantly showing the Jewish audience how the Lord, throughout the course of his ministry, his life, throughout a Holy Week, particularly through his passion, death, and resurrection, how he fulfills all of these prophecies, that he indeed is the long-awaited, pre-announced Messiah. He is the King of glory. So in Matthew's description, in Matthew 21, as he describes these details regarding this donkey upon which our Lord would ride into the holy city, he says this was to fulfill what the prophets had spoken. And he cites Zechariah chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 9 and 10 here. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. So the return of the king triumphant and victorious is he. Now, let me stop there. In spite of the expectations, remember that by and large, the people of Israel, the Jews were expecting and hoping for a a military figure, a, a, a conqueror, someone that was going to come mounted on a war horse to deliver them from their oppressors, from the Romans, who had occupied the Holy Land. And our Lord doesn't come as a military figure, as a conquering king on a war horse or on a chariot. No, he comes in a different way. He comes in all humility and he comes fulfilling the prophecy. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on an ass, on a colt, the foal of an ass. So we see here that our Lord, in instructing his disciples to go and to procure a donkey, an ass, that he, in essence, in a sovereign way, in a prophetic way, he was fulfilling the promises and the prophecies from the Old Testament, and that he is the true king of glory who comes triumphant and victorious, who comes humble in all humility, riding on an ass. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. Because the Lord comes not with the sword, but he comes ultimately bearing the cross. That's the standard of victory. Our Lord comes as the Prince of Peace, and through his shed blood on Calvary, he purchases for us peace and salvation. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy regarding the return of the king. Furthermore, we know that Jesus is, and he's been called throughout the pages of of each of the Gospels, one of his titles is that of Son of David. Now, who was the son of David that succeeded David as king of Israel? Solomon. And so Solomon is a type of Christ, son of David, king of Israel, who reigned. And Jesus is the new Solomon. And so his selection, his his choice, his decision to, to enter into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey has tremendous significance and is rooted and grounded in the text from the prophets, but also in the history of Israel. And in fact, it's directly tied to Solomon because when you look at the day when Solomon was anointed king of Israel, there are certain details that cannot be overlooked. Go with me to 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 32 through 34. 
we read, King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and cause Solomon, my son, to ride on my mule, and bring him down to Gihon, and let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. Do you see what I see? (laughs) On Palm Sunday, we see the recapitulation of the anointing and the proclamation of the king of Israel, of the son of David. Because David caused Solomon to ride into the holy city of Jerusalem, mounted on what? A donkey. To be anointed and proclaimed king of Israel. Long live King Solomon. And in the actions of our blessed Lord, we find, again, the recapitulation of the anointing of the son of David, because that is precisely who Jesus is. He is the new Solomon, the new king of glory who rides into Jerusalem mounted on a donkey. Beautiful. Furthermore, it says that, and many spread in verse 8, again, of Mark chapter 11, we're in verse 8, and many spread their garments on the road, and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields. It's important to understand that that part of the, the religious observance of the Jews when it came to these festivals, and we'll see this in a moment when we look at Leviticus chapter 23, I I said to you before that in Leviticus 23, we have the description of the three major religious festivals, including Passover, and how they were to celebrate this. And so it was customary, as pilgrims traveled to the holy city of Jerusalem, they would cut off the branches from trees, including palm trees, okay, but not just palm trees, leafy trees. And we'll see this in a moment when I'm going to share with you a few texts from scripture that that speak of this, but it says in verse eight here, and many spread their garments on the road and others spread leafy branches, which they had cut from the fields on their way to Jerusalem. They would cut these branches and they would wave them as they sang the Psalms. Psalms 113 through 118 called the Psalms of Ascent. Why ascent? Because when you go to Jerusalem, you're ascending because Jerusalem is on an elevation. You're always going up to Jerusalem, regardless of the direction from whence you're traveling, you're always going up to Jerusalem. So these are the Psalms of Ascent. These are, it's the pilgrim songbook, <laughs> to put it simply. It's, it's, it's the songbook of the pilgrims as they traveled, as they made pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They would sing In jubilation, they would sing these psalms, Psalm 113 through Psalm 118, and they would wave their palm branches. And it was customary. Another piece of it is it's not just religious, and it's not just tied to the Jews, but it was customary whenever you had the the return of, of a king or a conquering hero the people would receive that conquering hero or that king with jubilation, and they oftentimes would take palms, branches from palm trees and other leafy trees. They would cut down palms, and they would wave them in jubilation, and they would lay them before the path of the conquering king or or figure in jubilation to honor that person. So this transcended, you know, culture and race uh, and even religion. So this was quite customary, but it was also evident that the Jews also employed this custom. So you can imagine all the pilgrims, hundreds of thousands of them. And Josephus estimates that at certain Passovers, there were well over a million pilgrims converging upon the Holy City from all directions 
And they were all waving these branches as they approached the holy city, singing these psalms of ascent. We see also in the Old Testament, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 12 through 13, I'll give you an example of another king of Israel that was proclaimed king and what the response was to him being anointed king. In, in verse 12 of 2 Kings chapter 9, we read in verses 12 and 13, And Jehu said, Thus and so, meaning Elisha, or Elisha, the prophet, spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. Verse 13 says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. Close quote. So we see here in this example of Jehu being proclaimed the king, that the response was for those gathered there, every man, they they took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, basically making a path for him and expressing their devotion to him, their, their honor, the fact that they were honoring the new king of Israel. So we see this historically. So the fact that they laid out garments for our Lord as he approached Jerusalem, this is how kings were greeted. I mentioned to you Leviticus chapter 23. Look at verse 40. It says, and this is regarding one of the, the three festivals that includes the Passover, where people were to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and the Word of God furnishes details in terms of how they are to celebrate these feasts. Now look at verse 40. It says, and you shall take on the first day, what? The fruit of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And this is for the Feast of Tabernacles. But clearly for these three three major pilgrimage festivals, the people of God also employed these palm branches. Again, this is where we get Palm Sunday from because of how the people of God entered into the holy city with jubilation, waving these cut branches and praising God, singing the Psalms of Ascent. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. In verse 9 of Mark 11 It says, and those who went before, meaning those who went ahead or before Jesus, and those who followed Jesus, cried out what? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming. Hosanna in the highest. So this is what they were crying out. This is, they they cried this out in jubilation. Now, where did they get these these cries of, of, of jubilation? Where does this come from? Again, we find here the very words of the Psalms of Ascent, specifically Psalm 118. They are singing. This is what Jesus was singing. This is what his apostles were singing as they approached Jerusalem. We know what they were praying and what they were singing. They were singing the Psalms of Ascent. And in Psalm 118, Verses 24 through 27, we read the following. And I quote, This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Look at verse 25. Save us. That's where we get the word Hosanna from the Hebrew, Hoshiana, which literally means save us. Save us. Hosanna, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, give us success. Blessed is he who enters in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with what? With branches. Up to the horns of the altar. 
So here we find in Psalm 118 a description of precisely what unfolded on Palm Sunday. They were crying out in jubilation. They were crying out for what? For salvation. Hoshiana, Hosanna, save us, we beseech thee, O Lord. And who was riding into the holy city of Jerusalem but the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Christ, bringing salvation to his people who had prayed these prayers, who had sung these psalms, beseeching God for salvation for centuries. And here was their king, the king of glory, riding into Jerusalem, mounted on a donkey, the new Solomon. He is the presence of the Lord who ascends the Mount of Olives and descends into the Holy Temple by the Eastern Gate, fulfilling the promises of the Old Testament. It says here in verse 27, the Lord is God and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with what? With branches. So this this should paint a vivid picture for you, for us, as we consider what unfolded on that faithful day 2,000 years ago, on that first Palm Sunday, with the triumphal entry of our blessed Lord into the holy city of Jerusalem. It, it's incredible. And again, we're just scratching the surface. We could spend hours unpacking all the minute details, and there's so many scripture passages that I, I had to omit because of time. But let me conclude. It says here, Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. Now, it was expected that when the Mashiach was to come, that when he would come triumphantly, that he would enter into the holy city by the eastern gate, by the golden gate, enter into the temple where he would go to the altar of sacrifice, which is why it says, bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. That's the altar of sacrifice. On the altar of sacrifice, there were four horns, okay, on each corner of this altar. And this is where the animals were brought, sacrificed, and burned. And that this king of glory would come and he would offer sacrifice and in essence restore the temple now what does jesus do this is curious it says and he jesus entered jerusalem and went into the temple and when he had looked round at everything as it was already late he went out to bethany with the 12 with that mark concludes his account of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of our blessed Lord into the temple. He does not enter the temple and offer sacrifice at the brazen altar, at the altar of sacrifice, the four-horned altar. No, because days later, he would offer the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. He, the Lamb of God, would ascend the cross of Calvary, the altar of Calvary, which bore Four nails, the nails that that pinned his sacred hands to the wood of the cross, the one nail that pinned both his feet to the cross, and the nail that pinned the title that declared Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He would offer the perfect sacrifice, but for the time being, what does he do? He enters the temple and he inspects it because he is the Lord of this temple. And he's come to take possession of this temple. And he inspects every aspect of it. It says, and when he had looked round at everything. Now, mind you, place yourself at the scene. 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday, pilgrims from all over have come, hundreds of thousands. Josephus estimates at certain Passovers, well over a million pilgrims converged upon the city of Jerusalem. They flooded into the temple, 35 acres on that platform of the temple. 
filled the temple for worship, an expression of their faith, their religiosity. And Jesus enters into the temple with the throngs of pilgrims, and he goes around and he inspects it. Why? Well, we know why. Because the next day he would come to cleanse it, to pronounce judgment, to take possession. But for the time being, he inspects it. And I just find that haunting. The eyes of the Lord, the piercing gaze of the Savior, of the King of glory inspecting his temple, inspecting the spectacle of religiosity. There's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Inspecting the spectacle of religiosity. Because you could imagine hundreds of thousands of pilgrims gathered together, waving palms, singing the Psalms, flooding the temple. But yet he was looking for true worship. He was looking for true faith, for true believers. And what he found, and we'll get into this tomorrow, he found corruption, infidelity, the unfaithfulness once again of the people of God. Sound familiar? My brothers and sisters, that one verse, that verse 11, it's a haunting verse. I want it to stay with you. I want you to think about it. I want you to meditate upon it. Because in a certain sense, we have to understand that while we're looking at the text of what unfolded 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem, the visitation of our Lord, his entering into the temple and the inspection of the temple, the impending judgment that would come, the cleansing of the temple. We have to understand that our Lord, after he rose from the dead, following his crucifixion and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that he promised that he would come again. The king of glory is to come again to judge the living and the dead. And as we end our study on that verse, Verse 11 of him inspecting the temple during this holiest of weeks as we conclude our Lenten observance, 40 days journeying in the desert, examining our consciences, looking within at ourselves, at our souls, the condition of our souls. We are, as St. Paul says, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. And our Lord looks at us and he is seeking faith, true faith, true devotion true commitment, true fidelity. Are we to be found worthy of the Lord? And if we're honest with ourselves, we in so many respects resemble the Jews of old, the Israelites of old, of all generations. We too fall short in so many ways. So I want to encourage you as we reflect upon this Palm Sunday that we should rightly be haunted by that verse, verse 11. Because our Lord, yes, when he comes again, he will come to judge. And there's no hiding from the eyes of the Lord. There's no obfuscation, no excuses. Either we're all in for Jesus Oh, we're not. And false piety and religiosity, the outward appearance of of faith and allegiance to God is not going to cut it because he's going to look in our hearts, at our souls, at what lies within. All of the outward religiosity, it means nothing unless our hearts are devoted to him. My prayer is that during this Holy Week that we, as we journey through the Scriptures, as we follow in the footsteps of our blessed Lord, that we, each of us, will be convicted of the ways in which we fall short and that we, like the people, journeying into Jerusalem, that we would cry out, Hosanna, save us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. If we do that, my friends, I guarantee you our Lord is faithful. He is just and he is merciful. If we do that, the Lord will fill us with his grace and with his peace. And that's something that in this day and age, in this world, in this time, we desperately need. We need to come to Jesus. 
with this my brothers and sisters we conclude our palm sunday study i look forward to joining with you again tomorrow as we consider the events surrounding the monday of holy week and the lord's cleansing of the temple until then my brothers and sisters may god bless you hosanna in the highest blessed is he who comes and will come again in the name of the lord hosanna to the son of david god love you